Good morning, church. Today is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Would you stand with us as we declare that he is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Lift your head, lift your eyes, look to the sun. In the test and the trial, his grace is enough. His grace is enough.
God, we just come before you this morning, just ready to praise your name, just ready to bring you glory for all that you've done and all that you promised to do in our future, Father. We know that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. We bring you praise. The Savior saved, and thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it
There's a song that came out about 2011 that's become a staple in the church. And it has such an interesting story of vulnerability and being able to share what it looks like to take that mask off. You see, Jesse Reeves was the bass player for Chris Tomlin. And his wife had actually gone on a missions trip to Africa. And so he was going to be left alone with the kids, four kids, for 10 days. So as he was home with his kids for 10 days, he shared it was the most temptation that he's ever experienced in his life. He would put the kids down to bed. And then it seemed like right after that, he just had to have a drink. And at that particular time, cable was actually being uh, free. They were extending free movies on their network. And he said, so it just continued to spiral downwards. So they get ready to get to a passion summit. They're going to get ready to write for the new passion album. And they split them into two groups. Jesse's a part of um, Matt Marr, Jesse Reeves. Daniel Carson, who was uh, the electric for Chris, and then Christy Knuckles and Christian Stanfill. And so they, they're sitting around this picnic table trying to figure out what songs they could write for the church, for college kids coming to a passion conference. And right before they start getting ready to write, Jesse goes, Hey, I'm just going to say I shouldn't be here. And he starts confessing all of these things that he's been doing the past 10 days. And he goes, I, 
I'm not worthy to be here and to write songs that the church should be singing. I gotta work on some things within my own life. And he goes, but one thing that really helped me as I went through this struggle these 10 days was there's a hymn, an old hymn called, I Need Thee Every Hour. And he would actually sing, I Need Thee Every Hour. And he goes, I never realized how much those lyrics resonated with me because every hour was another barrier to try to get through of temptation, of continuing in sin. So as he continued to declare these words, I need thee every hour, he told the group, so I don't think that I should be here writing these songs, but I tell you that song, it would be great if we had a modern version of that song that communicated that same need for God, that same desire and craving for him consistently, not just on the mountaintops or in the valleys, daily and so they start brainstorming Christian came up with a lyric what if we write about what you're talking about right here because I'm sure there's tons of people struggling with this in their own lives and so he began to pen Lord I come I confess bowing here I find my rest and each of the artists would take a little piece of it. And Christy Knuckles ended up saying, hey, I have a bridge that actually doesn't, it's supposed to go with a different song. What if we try it with this? So Matt Moore put the song, all these pieces together, and the song was completed in just under an hour, which if you're a songwriter, that's amazing. But the one thing that Jesse really tried to stress was, you know what? In my weakness, he is strong. And I want to encourage each of you this morning for a time of confession with your Lord, a time to be able to be vulnerable, to be able to take down the mask of whatever's in your life, a time to examine if there's any barriers that we have put in, not even intentionally, but to protect ourselves, to be able to release those things and to allow the light penetrate the darkness you know Satan does his best work in the dark in isolation so why do we not let him have a foothold and bring to light what God already knows so let's sing this song that became so special of recognizing that we are letting him be glorified. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my Yeah. 
he worthy of your song this morning, congregation? He's definitely worthy of my song. And this morning we're going to celebrate that if I can have you sing this with me. I'm going to sing till my heart starts changing. Oh, and I'm going to worship till I mean every word. Because the way I feel and the fear I'm facing doesn't change who you are or what you deserve. So the church says, I give you my worship because you still deserve it.
Good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church and happy Super Bowl Sunday to you all. I keep on getting people saying, hey, are you wearing your jersey today for the game, your 49er jersey? And I keep on trying to tell people we're not about that around here. 
That's not who we are. We're about Jesus Christ and the Bible. And so take all that stuff and do that on your own time. We're not about the Rams. We're not about the San Diego Chargers. We're not about the Dodgers. We're about Jesus. Now, if you're making steak, though, invite me over and I'll wear whatever jersey you want me to wear because uh, I can eat barbecue. Hey, uh, we're so glad that you are with us today, and uh, whether you're online with us, maybe you're in the, uh, in the video venue or in the building, so glad you're with us. I do this thing, especially if you're new, I'll be out in the patio afterwards, love to kind of put a face with a name, get to know you. Please come by and say hello. If you say hi to me all the time and you see somebody waiting, maybe you give them a shot of saying hello as well, but we would love uh, to be able to kind of uh, introduce ourselves to you and have you introduce yourself to us too. So please do that. And in the vein of last week, I Pastor Jack did a great job about this. I want to let you know that we are going to be heading towards some PG-13 content and above today, uh, starting off with the initial uh, uh, opening illustration. And so uh, if you have your child with you here, might be best to transition to the children's ministry right now. We have a lot of families that want their children to experience worship together with us. We love that. At the same time, we do try to emphasize the children's ministries uh, because we are going to be speaking about adult content in our gatherings. So uh, just giving you that little heads up. Uh, while you do that, I will share this one little uh, announcement, and then we'll get started. And that is to say this. Uh, we mentioned a couple weeks ago that we're going to go to some, back to some pre-pandemic norms. Uh, that's going to happen the first weekend of March. We're going to close down the balconies, and then we'll add some center covers, and we'll ask everybody to move forward, really in the name of being corporate about our worship, being unified in our worship. Uh, we believe the engagement goes up. We want to be together. We want to see each other. We want to be able to worship together in unity. And so we're doing that for that reason. And secondly, and probably a big second, is because our guests, we need to make sure that our guests feel welcome. It's hard to remember the last time you went to a church for the first time and, and felt like, wow, I don't feel like I belong here. Uh, when we're closer together, we're that much more likely to rub shoulders, I, we're much more likely to say, hey, how you doing? You look new here. Can I help you? Find your way around. Did you get a donut? How, what's your name? How long have you been in town? Things of that nature. We need your help to make sure that our guests feel enfolded to our church and don't feel like, oh my gosh, it's a church that's so into themselves that they don't let anybody else in. And so we think that bringing everybody closer together will help us with all those things, and so that will begin in March. We'll also start back with our worship sandwich kind of, uh, you know, template where we do worship at the beginning, I speak, and then worship at the end, or sometimes we'll do all the worship at the end, sometimes all the worship at the beginning. Uh, back into worship is always my favorite because I'm always thinking about my opening illustration, and when I preach already, I can just worship God without even worried about what I'm going to say or anything like that. So that'll be coming, all coming back uh, March. Now we're giving you a heads up, and we're kind of kind of, uh, you know, giving a couple announcements on it. We'll give a couple more before March because we know that change is hard. It can be difficult. I remember last time we did this, um, somebody came up to Kenny and said, you know, I've been sitting in that chair for 15 years and my butt cheeks are imprinted on that cushion. And Kenny said, well, if it means that much to you, I will move that cushion to wherever it is you're gonna sit and, and install it right there so your butt cushions will still be. That is so funny. I don't understand that's hilarious where I come from. All right, anyway. Good job, Kenny. <laughs> so if you have a complaint, please see Kenny. Uh, let's, let's get started. Hey, uh, about uh, several years ago, there was a major league baseball player who did the unthinkable. That is, he took a leave of absence from the major league baseball season in order to work on his marriage with his wife. Uh, he took this leave of absence, wanting to work on his marriage. Both of the, uh, these, uh, the, uh, this couple were both believers, 
And out of a show of devotion for his God and for his wife, he decided to take some time away. And it seems like his priorities were spot on. By the time he had returned back to his post on his Major League Baseball team, he had forfeited some $8 million in earnings. All to prioritize his marriage. Both of them submitted to pastoral counseling from the lead pastor of the church that they had attended and were strongly devoted to for the previous 15 years. The same pastor did all their pre- and post-marital counseling, something that had gone on for now 16 years down the road. You can imagine the baseball player's disappointment when he found out that his efforts were fruitless and his wife still wanted a divorce. The pastor, now caught between ministering between both sides of this thing, encouraged him to give his wife some space. Maybe not the world's worst advice, considering maybe if there's a cooling off period, who knows if things can come back to normal. But it turns out that the pastor was giving additional advice to the wife that you might say was not biblical in nature. He seemed to be advising the woman and advocating for separation. Finally, the baseball player received a phone call out of nowhere, out of left field, so to speak, And it was from the wife of the pastor who had found a quote-unquote burner phone and discovered an inappropriate relationship between the pastor and the baseball player's wife. Of course he was advocating for separation. He's got a vested interest in her. I bring this up because I bet you've asked the question as many others have in the quietness of their heart and the stillness of their mind without vocalizing it out loud, but the question might go something like this. Where was God in all that? Today, with the internet age and and the recipe for juicy headlines, you can imagine it was a field day. The enemy had won the headline of the day. Look what happens when Christianity comes to your house. Where was God in the midst of all that? We've got the Me Too movement and the atrocities thereof. You've got pastor failings. You've got clergy abuse scandals all over the place, all highlighted on our airwaves, and all too often. Where is God in the midst of that? Today, our passage seems to answer that question in a way that hopefully will bring about confidence inside you of how God deals and handles these things. Has God turned a blind eye to these activities? What does he do about it? How interested is God in getting to the bottom of these matters? And what is his plan of action? How intently does God investigate these things? And how sure are his consequences? For that, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 2. I'd love for you to turn there. If you brought a bound Bible with you, please go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. If you're new to our series, we are in a quest of teaching through the entire book of 1 Samuel. We're ending chapter 2 today, and we'll just keep on going whatever subject or topic comes before us, and we'll continue to teach on that. And so that's where we landed today. If you have a phone, an app with the Bible on it, I encourage you to take that out. If you're online right now, open, open up another window, get there, make sure that everything I'm saying comes straight from the Word of God, and I'm not manipulating or saying anything different thereof. And that's the reason why we follow along together. So we're in 
1 Samuel chapter 2. We'll look at verses 27 through 36 today as we finish that chapter. Now, if you're new to the series, we're a little bit, give you a little bit of context of what's going on. We're kind of doing a juxtaposition between two families. Uh, so far in the book of 1 Samuel, we have Hannah, who's married to Elkanah, who uh, they aren't able to have children. And so there's this whole chapter one is all about her dealing with this, this inability to have children and, and really the, the, the void that she fills in her heart because of it. And so she prays to God, God, please give me a child. And if you give me this child, I'll give him back to you. And he will serve you uh, with a Nazarite vow for the rest of his life. He will be that person for you. I'll give him back to you. And so that's the house of Hannah, so to speak, and that's just a position to the house of Eli. And so Hannah has a child who she's going to give to the Lord for his service. Eli is the high priest, and he's got a couple sons too. And if you were here last week, you realized and heard what they were doing. They were sleeping with the women who were coming to the temple to serve God. And not only that, they were taking of the choicest meats during the sacrifice. God said, I want you to to chop off the fat, render it down, and use that as a fragrant offering for me. That's mine. The fat is mine. And they're like, wait, no, 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 no. The fat's the best part of the meat. We want that. We want barbecue, not stew. And so they they basically uh, thwarted God's methodology and said, no, we're going to eat the choice meat, the meat that's for God. We're going to eat it ourselves. And so here, they're, 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 they're manipulating, conniving, and they're sleeping with the women. That's, that's Eli's children. And so we're going to see the difference between Hannah's child and Eli's child, the house of Hannah and the house of Eli. And we're going to kind of look at this moving forward. The, uh, the overarching question today is how does God respond to clergy abuse scandals that defile the house of God? How does God respond to the clergy abuse scandals that defile the house of God? The first thing we're going to see is that he investigates them thoroughly. He investigates them thoroughly. He has his eye on it. He's watching. He knows. He hasn't thrown a blind eye to it. He's not ignoring it. He's not, he's not sweeping it under the rug. He investigates it thoroughly. Let's look at verses 27 through 29. I'll be on the screen for you. It says this. There came a man of God to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, did I, uh, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? He's talking about Aaron. Wasn't I, wasn't I showing favor on your family line through Aaron? Did I choose him out of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor, the, honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people of Israel? We'll stop there. How does God respond to clergy abuse, scandals that defile the house of God? Well, the first thing we see is that he he investigates them thoroughly. He's thoroughly involved. He's thoroughly concerned. He's watching every minute detail, every motivation thereof. Uh, Last week, I think Zach did a great job of, 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 of kind of depicting what was going on. They were taking the choice of meat. They're eating it for themselves. They're supposed to be, that was God's part, supposed to be a fragrant, fragrant offering to God. They're taking it away. And here, uh, a man of God, which is code in the Old Testament for uh, a prophet. 
uh, prophets of the Old Testament would speak for God. They'd bring judgment on a city or a person. They could be predictive in nature. They were the ones uh, having a message from God. And, and the message from God to Eli was, didn't my favor rest on your house? Aren't you a part of the house of Levi? Like the people who are set aside in favor to do priestly duties? Exodus chapter 4, Exodus chapter 28, Leviticus chapter 1 through 7. I, I've, he set you aside, chose you, and set you aside to be the ones that would be there for the people and help them get their connection with God. Like just, you don't have to till land. You don't have to, you don't have to do hard, you know, all the hard labor stuff. Your job, and I'll make sure you eat. I'll take care of you. All your job is to do is to make sure the religious part, the soulful part of the people, that they can have a connection with the Lord. You even got to wear an ephod. It's a close-fitting, sleeveless vest extended to the hips and was worn exclusively by priests. You got, to, you got the uniform. Like I gave you a uniform. I take care of you. You don't need to worry about anything. All your whole job is just to make sure that religiously speaking, the people have a connection towards the Lord. You were chosen of all Israel to be the one whose whole job and life's mission was to direct people in the spiritual affairs of their God. You had three special responsibilities. Now, if you're in a growth group, this might be a good, a good time to uh, take some notes. Uh, three special responsibilities. Number one, you go up to my altar. The idea was they were the ones presiding over the burnt offerings that would be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You're the one who presides over that activity so that people can be made right with God. You, you got to go out to my altar. Nobody else got to. You as the priest did. You got to burn incense, number two, in the holy place. Now, uh, this is actually kind of a couple layers deep. Uh, the holy place was where the Shekinah glory of God resided. So God in the Old Testament would actually reside in the tabernacle or in the temple, and he would specifically in the innermost room, the holy place. And he's saying, you got to go in there and you got to burn the incense. The reason they would burn incense is because they needed a fog cloud to be in between them and the glory of God. Because if they could see the glory of God, they would die out of inferiority. And so you got to go in there, burn the incense, make a wall, knowing that behind that wall was the very presence of God. And, and, and that, that, that wall that you made of this fog that you made was a grace that you wouldn't die of inferiority. You got to be that close. Nobody else gets that close, but you did. And then finally, you got to wear the ephod, the very uniform of God described earlier, but also included a jewel, jewel uh, breastplate. So it's beautiful and expensive in nature. That's how God favored you. Now let me tell you what you've done with that favor. Let's go back to 29, verse 29. We'll put it on the screen for a second. It says this. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest part of every offering of my people Israel? I gave you favor and you responded to me by scorning the sacrifices. Eli is being talked to and basically, coming forth at him is this idea that you've been involved in wickedness. Now, this is really interesting, because this is kind of where the story takes a little bit of a turn. Eli wasn't the one who was sleeping with the females at the temple. 
Now, Eli wasn't one who was demanding the choicest meat. In fact, when he found out that these atrocities were happening with his kids, he confronts them. If you remember last week, I can't believe what you're doing, and I can't believe your reputation with the people. You're doing all this. And he confronts them. But here, the prophet is coming against Eli, and he's taking credit for what his children had done. He's, he's the one getting the, 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 the judgment of what his children had done. And there's a, there's a principle here that I think we don't need to move back fast very quickly. And that is this. There's a difference between confrontation and removal. Sure, he did confront his sons. And, and he did go on record with them that this was wrong. But he didn't remove them from their places of influence. He didn't, he didn't set them aside and replace them. He allowed them to continue doing what they were doing. And so... As it relates to God, there are some activities that, 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 that demand removal over just having a difficult conversation. And the text literally says, you have scorned my sacrifices. By not removing them, by not setting them aside and replacing them, you've scorned my sacrifice. I don't know, last time I used the word scorn in my life. I don't think that's a word that I usually use, scorn. You know what, you know what it literally means to scorn? To kick aside. You literally kicked my sacrifices aside. He said, that's what you think about the sacrifices. By not doing something about this, you honored your sons above honoring God. How? And it says by fattening yourselves on the meat. A lot of people believe that Eli may have not directed them to get the meat, but he ate of the meat. He was there eating the meat with them, knowing what was going on, but not making any changes. This is nepotism gone mad. This is a dereliction of duty. And Eli is held responsible, held culpable for the actions as far as he participated in them. And he allowed the actions to take place without relieving them of their religious duties, influence, and authority. He gets held responsible for God. Now, let's just think about this for a second. Cross-reference this principle and think of the ramifications of this as we have dealt with different clergy abuse scandals today, both in the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Evangelical Church. I've been in the Evangelical Church for 30 years now. And I knew, I remember when I first walked in, I heard the stories and how we used to handle these scandals 50 years ago. And you know what? That pastor made a big mistake and he shouldn't have touched this girl or this boy or whatever those things are, the affair. But we're gonna go quiet about it. We're, not, we're just going to relieve them of their duties, and we're not going to tell the church what's happening. We're, we're just gonna, we don't want to put a stain on the gospel, and so let's just kind of brush it under the rug. And now what we're learning with, through the Me Too movement and all these clergy scandals, no, if you didn't help stop this atrocity from continuing on forward, then you are held responsible as well. Why didn't you tell us? Why weren't you worried that he, might, he or she might do this again? You can't just sweep it under the rug in hopes of not staining the gospel. Sweeping it under the rug stains the gospel. You gotta deal with it. Just like Eli, you should have dealt with this. Well, why do I say that he investigates them thoroughly? Well, because he's going three layers deep. He's not just blaming the sons for what they did. He's going to the dad and say, you didn't do anything about it. I know the motivations of your heart. You may not have participated in that one, but you are allowing it to happen. And I'm holding you culpable as well. 
Well, his investigative eye searches out our deepest motivations, but that's not all. He does more. How does God respond to clergy abuse scandals that defile the house of God? Well, number one, he investigates them thoroughly. And now number two, we're going to see he doles out consequences carefully. He doles out consequences carefully. And really what we're going to see is kind of like a cascading consequence or like a domino effect of consequences that happen. He doles out consequences carefully. Now, he might be patient, but understand this. The consequences are sure. Let's go to verse 30, and we'll look at verses 30 through 36 together. It says this. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house, the priestly house, the house of your father, he's talking about Aaron, the the, the priestly line of Levi, should go in and out before me forever. You were supposed to be my priest, going in and out of the temple forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me, I shall lightly esteem. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so there will be not an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with an envious eye on all the prosperity that that shall, shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever, The only one of you who I shall not cut off from my altar shall uh, shall be spared to weep his eyes out and to grieve his heart on all the desolate, uh, all the descendants of your house who die by the sword. And they shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall, uh, will come and implore uh, for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, please put me in a priestly place that I might have a morsel of bread. How does God respond to clergy abuse scandals that defile the house of God? Well, he doles out consequences carefully. It's a a declaration at the beginning of verse 30 that there's consequences are coming. A consequential response is coming. Uh, If you honor me, I'll honor you. If you humiliate me, uh, I I will despise, if you despise me, I'll humiliate you, is the idea. I'll take you down a rung. And then we see this domino effect of consequences that happen. And I want you to see them. There's four of them. And, 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 and we can actually mirror them in our own lives when we fall victim to sin as well. The first one is that he's going to cut off the strength and legacy of, of Eli. I will cut off your strength and your legacy. The literal idea there is I will cut off your arm. You could say it this way. I will shatter your arm. I'm going to cut it off. Everyone of your priestly household will die young and never see old age. Now, we see this as a prophecy that is uh, fulfilled later when the priesthood is taken away from Abathar and given to Zadok in 1 Kings chapter 2. It's the loss of legacy. Now, you got to understand, the priestly tribe was the tribe of Levi coming from Aaron. That was not going to change. That is perpetual. But it doesn't mean that one of the arms of that branch can't be cut off. And what God is saying, Eli, I've cut off the branch of your arm, and no longer will your family have anything to do with the priesthood. 
Someone else will come and take your place. And so he says, I'll cut off your strength, I'll cut off your arm, and I'll cut off your legacy. There will be only one remaining, and he will merely be there to weep and grieve what you've lost. And we believe that to be Abathar in, in, in uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 2 that fulfills that. He watches as the priestly line of his house is cut off. Finally, there's a sign of judgment that uh, judgment is certain to come. I know, Eli, that you're not going to see all this because this is generations down the road uh, of judgment that's coming your way. You won't be around. You'll be dead. And so here's a sign to you that that everything I'm saying is for sure going to happen. Your sons will die on the same day. They'll be taken out, and they'll die on the same day. And finally, the priesthood will be replaced. Uh, The remaining legacy of old, of anybody in your family line, will beg and plead to partake of any kind of subsistence. Can you please put me in some kind of menial role or task so I can have some bread um, because we've been completely cut off? That's the domino effect. Strength and legacy cut off, and then there's weeping and grieving, and then it feels like a death has come on, and then, the pre- and then you're replaced. And it's not unlike what we deal with ourselves when we give into our own sin. And I want you to see if you can find the analogy here. We give in to our sin in our lives, and we often lose our place of strength, our place of influence, our place of standing and authority. We, lo- re- we lose our legacy. There's often a lot of weeping and grieving as we consider where we were and where we end up now. It can often feel like a death has taken place in our lives to where it's overtaken us. And then we find ourselves that sometimes we end up our standing and our place is replaced by somebody else. Oh, sure, you got what you wanted and, and, and you felt you deserved it, but your kids won't talk to you now. You thought you didn't love your wife, but you loved someone else, so then you went after her, and now the kids, man, the grieving of my kids don't look at me the same way they used to look at me. They don't put me on that pedestal anymore. That place of prominence and esteem and influence was gone. Somebody else has it for my kids. I don't have, because I gave in. And the domino effect, I feel like I have lost, weeping, like a death's overtaken me and somebody's replaced me. You gave in to the here and now and the consequences then and there are overwhelming. You gave up your birthright for a bowl of soup, a bowl of stew. Genesis chapter 25, verses 29 to 34. Jacob offers his brother Esau a bowl of stew in exchange for his birthright. I gave it all away. And now I'm dealt, now I'm left dealing with the ramifications of it all. God's justice and timing may not always follow our timelines, but his justice is sure nonetheless. God's justice and timing may not always follow our timelines, but his justice is sure nonetheless. So you can only hide from God so long before God comes to make things right. You can only hide for so long before God comes to make things right. They were sleeping with the women and they were eating the sacrifice. What's the problem then? God obviously doesn't have a problem with it. And then all of a sudden, boom, now's the time of reckoning. You can only hide from God for so long and then God comes to make things right. It's our big idea. Be on the screen. You can only hide for God for so long and then God comes to make things right. Let me see if I can apply that to our day today and see if we can find some connection that are relevant to where we're standing today. 
Um, many of you know that my wife and I are, um, have a long history of involvement with, with foster care. Not only are our uh, youngest uh, son and daughter adopted out of the foster care system, but my wife worked uh, for two different Christian foster care based, uh, or Christian based foster care organizations, one in Arizona, one in California, for years. Now, having dived into the deep end of that issue, unfortunately, we know the terrors of the stories about children are treated and oftentimes by their own family members. Thankfully, the state produces many programs, public programs, that bring about the opportunity for rehabilitation and then make reconciliation possible. We're very thankful for that because it does seem like to be in the best interest of the child for them to be with their natural-born family. However, there are stories that are so extreme that rehabilitation and reconciliation are neither possible nor recommended. Some of the stories are flat-out heartbreaking and stomach-turning. I'll spare you some of the details. It's really rough to hear what kids can go through. And I share this with you because I think there are people in the room here who know the pains of abuse. You know that pain. You know the PTSD. You know the anxiety, the fear. You know the panic disorder. You know the long road of counseling and therapy and the treatment plans. And many times the perpetrators of these abusive events go free. There either wasn't enough evidence collected, we were too young, in some cases, in some cases, Witnesses are too scared to come forward. In some cases, it's just really hard to prove this in the court of law. And so in some situations, you have people feeling victimized twice. This happened to me, I feel victimized. And then I feel victimized a second time because nobody believes me. And nothing's done of this. I'm not getting the justice that I so richly deserve. And if that's your situation, I want you to know something. God is not turning a blind eye to your situation. He's not. He's intently investigating, and he's carefully plotting out the consequences for that. That must be dealt with. That sin has to be dealt with. And either the perpetrator will repent, beg and plead God for forgiveness, to where the wrath of God will fall onto Jesus Christ for that sin, so that sin is paid for. The wrath of God deals with that sin on the cross of Christ. Either that will happen, the perpetrator pleads and begs God for forgiveness, and God forgives them because the wrath of God is satisfied on Jesus Christ. Or the wrath of God will be settled on the perpetrator himself or herself. Sin has to be dealt with. Either the wrath of God comes on the individual to satisfy the wrath that was a byproduct of that action, or the wrath of God goes on Jesus Christ where that sin is taken care of, and still that sin, that sin is still dealt with. That sin has to be dealt with. God will right all the wrongs of the world. There'll be no stone left unturned. How many Unsolved mysteries are there across the United States? How many open cases and investigations are still open? Crying out, wanting for justice. How many children have been abducted? How many women have been raped? How many people have been murdered? And it's unsolved, cold cases. I want to tell you something. There's not a such thing as a cold case with God. He, he will make sure that every wrong is righted. It will happen. 
What will you do when the sovereign one is presiding over the investigation? The one who sees not only what happens in broad daylight, but who can see everything that happens under the cover of darkness. You can only hide for so long before God comes to make things right. And at the end of our passage, it's so beautiful. He says, but there is a replacement priest coming who will be faithful to the task. And surely that's Zadok, and, and, and I think that's initial fulfillment, but I think the fuller fulfillment of that is Jesus Christ, the prophet, the priest, the king who will come, and he will represent God, and he will right all the wrongs, and he will take the ugliness of life and redeem it. Even in the midst of this ugliness of sin and clergy abuse, God says, I can still provide redeeming qualities. Why don't you deal with your sin now and plague for God's forgiveness than to deal with it one day when he holds you accountable for it? Why don't you deal with it now? You know, I was watching this video yesterday, and I just happened to come across it. I was I listening to worship music on YouTube all the time while I study, and there's this one famous worship guy, and he was doing his song, and, but they did it in a state penitentiary. It was really interesting. And so he's in like this gymnasium and there's all these inmates and they're lined up in rows and they're, and they're doing their song and they're all singing. And the song was about how they're no longer prisoners. And I just thought it was so ironic. Here he is singing a song with his whole heart. Now he's not a prisoner. You know, he's in regular clothes. But everybody in the rows, they're all in like suits that have like, you know, numbers on the back of their... They're in the garments, they're in prison clothes, and they're all raising their hands saying, we're no longer prisoners. How ironic is this? You're singing a song that you're not prisoners when you're so clearly a prisoner. You see, our gospel can bring freedom to folks that are in the state penitentiary. I may be in prisoner's clothes here, and physically I'm a prisoner, but I'm a child of God and I'm no longer a prisoner, and there's a day where I will take my seat with God in heaven. Because God can forgive the worst of sins. You could be on death row for your sins, and God can still find forgiveness because of the work of Christ on the cross. So that that sin is still dealt with. Understand that. The wrath of God must deal with sin. It either deals with it on you, or it puts it on Christ. Which one do you want? Why don't you come Plead for God. That was the problem with the sons. They didn't, they didn't want to repent. They didn't want to humble themselves. I was wrong. I messed up. Can you forgive me? Forgiveness is available to anybody who comes humbly and asks for it. But he's not going to force it on you. He will not force it on you. So I ask you, you can only hide for so long before God comes to make things right. Why don't you get right with him before he comes to make things right? Our worldview, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christianity says this, that God is God, we are not. Once we've done one thing wrong, we don't deserve him. God, instead of sending all of humanity to hell, which he could have done, and it would have been righteous and just for him to do that, because we chose not God. So I'm gonna send my son, I'm gonna send my son to die on the cross for their sin. If they'll believe on the son, I'll take all their sin, place it on the cross, and the wrath of God will be dealt with right there. However, if they do not, if they reject my son, then I will hold them accountable for their sin. And I will make sure my wrath deals with every sin of this world so that nobody can 
leave their existence on this earth feeling victimized because God rights all the wrongs one way or another. Why don't you place your faith in Christ? Don't wait for that day. Place your faith in Christ and let him deal with it right now. That's available to you. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. You know, something really interesting about what I do, I never know who I'm talking to. You kind of get used to that and you just go, Lord, you know who you're talking to. I hope you're doing something in this room because I got nothing that can change anybody's life on my own. And you've met these people before. I said, you know what? I don't even know why I'm at church, man. I sit far away from everybody else because if God's going to strike somebody dead with a bolt of lightning, it's going to be me. Are you here? It could be that God wants to talk to you today, man. Like you. No matter what you've done, no matter what your experiences have been, God wants to deal with you right now. And if you'll come to him and ask him for his forgiveness, it's available to you. Believe on Christ, his work on the cross, that God rose him from the dead, and the word of God says you'll be saved. And you won't have to stand before God one day and deal with what you and I both know is an evaluation that you won't pass. Why don't you do that? Do it right now. And maybe you've been here for like 10 years and it's never been real. You know it, God knows it, but everybody wrote. You fooled everybody else in the room, good job. But it's never real. Do you realize that one day you'll stand before a holy God who knows everything, is everywhere, and all powerful, you can't fool him. Deal with him now. Forgiveness is available for those who plead for it before God. Father, we love you. Those truths are why we are here, because we want to get people right with you, because we want all to be right with you. We want to live more for the then and there in heaven than we're willing live, living the here and now today. And yes, we'll enjoy the Super Bowl and all those things, but there's more to this life than just that. Would you become real to us in a way that that would be an actuality in every day of our life? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. You know, God really does love us unconditionally. You know, people get messed up about uh, what Christianity is, and they think it's about do's and don'ts, and if I do these things and I don't do these things, then I'm gonna be okay with God, but that's not what it is. It's about God's grace and his unconditional love for us, and all we have to do is receive and accept that. He wants to forgive you. He's standing ready to do it. Um, to force that forgiveness on you, that wouldn't be very loving. So his, his love and his uh, system he set up uh, requires us to submit to him. Uh, if you're here today and you're ready to do that, we have some folks who would love to talk with you at the counter on your way out on the left-hand side of the lobby. And if you're joining us online, you go to campcc.net and click on next steps and fill out a form. And then one of our pastors will get back to you this week. We want to walk this journey with you. If you have any questions about what it means to be a follower of Christ, we're here for you. All right. We're going to shift gears and receive our offering. We don't pass a plate or anything like that here, but we have a way for you to give online. Um, and there's a offering box in the lobby if you prefer to use that. All of our ministries are supported by the tithes and offerings of God's people. So uh, your generosity enables us to 
uh, keep the lights on and keep our ministries going. So thank you very much for um, supporting and sacrificing for God's work here at Camp CC. Um, before you go today, check out this video, what's coming up next. Hey Camp CC, I'm Abby Lemberg, the new director of our hospitality team. I'm so happy you're here with us. If you are a first, second, or third time guest, we have some great gifts for you at the welcome counter to thank you for checking us out today. I'm talking Starbucks gift cards, thirst-quenching mugs, and all-you-can-eat dessert. Mark your connection cards if this is your first, second, or third time with us. Or if you're online watching, go to campcc.net forward slash next steps. There are a lot of great things coming up here at CamCC. Who will you ask to join you? February 22nd. Seven Seas is registering the new 23 through 24 school year, beginning for members of Camrio Community Church. New student registration begins on March 1st. March 3rd, Middle School Carnival Night. We're talking inflatables, carnival games, prizes, and a mechanical bull. Say what? It's going to be awesome. For more info, chat with or email jacob at camcc.net. March 14th, worship night. Join us at 7 p.m. for a powerful night of worship, prayer, and scripture. If you haven't checked one of these out yet, save the date and bring a friend. April 3rd through the 7th, we have our Mexico missions trip. Save the date, middle schoolers and high schoolers. For more info, talk with or email zach at camcc.net. To stay in the loop of what's going on here at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. My name is Sam Stevenson, and I'm the K-3 Director here at CamCC. I just want to thank you for joining us here today. Thank you, Pastor Dave, for that really thoughtful message. I um, I can't wait to meet with my growth group later and unpack that, process that a little more. And I want to encourage you, if you don't already, to find a small group of believers outside of this corporate setting to um, meet with and just see what else God can reveal to you through the week. If you're visiting with us here today, stop by the welcome counter on the left in the lobby, grab the gifts that we have for you, and I'll see you guys out on the patio for donuts and coffee.